what is up everyone? Welcome back to the Rags to Riches podcast. We are in episode number 10. How crazy is that? Um, today we've got actually a very old friend of mine today. Um, the reason I've got him on is because he brings something a bit different to the table. Yes, he's an entrepreneur. Yes, he can. he's got similarities to a lot of the other people which we'll go into. But one thing that I wanted to I wanted you you guys to benefit from is because he has taken basically what would be a small idea just in his head <laughs> and then gone about creating it from scratch. And when I say from scratch, I mean raising, so having no capital at all and then how um, going through the stages of raising capital, starting a business, getting investors um, and growing into a, a niche. So um, his name is Jake Wood. He is the owner and CEO of a men's yoga apparel company called So We Flow. A very cool company. So without further ado, my friend, Jake, are you there? Yes, I'm there, Richard. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Hey, you sound very posh, my friend. Have you changed your accent just for this uh, <laughs> Skype interview? No, I actually just sat up so I could pronunciate more clearly. Perfect. So, actually, that's a good idea for uh, my audience because that's something I have to do with my Yorkshire accent is uh, try and make myself less Yorkshire-ish for people to understand. Yeah, missing out, missing out random consonants and vowels for no real reason is a yeah, classic Yorkshire trait. Yeah, not a good idea here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I give a small brief intro about you, but do you want to tell people who is Jake Wood and who is So We Flow? Who is Jake Wood and who is So We Flow? An yeah. existential question to start. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I guess, in a nutshell, I'm a 28-year-old gentleman. I live in London and have done for quite some time. And uh, I own a men's yoga and movement clothing company, which you've already named, called So We Flow. Um, it's basically been going for a couple of years now, learning a lot of lessons along the way, and uh, sort of just... It all started from wanting to engage with what I was passionate about and make work as sort of aligned with day-to-day life as possible Mm. and yeah it's just been a crazy journey so far and it I guess in many ways there's been it's been surprisingly beautiful in many ways but also shocks about business that I didn't really expect and I feel you know that would help people that were trying that were interested in getting into business like definite insights that I would wish someone had told me at the start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I, I really want to get into all that stuff. Now, um, I, I want to go back to the start because, as I said in the intro, like the, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on is because, um, like with all entrepreneurs, you had an idea, right? But what you did was go, we could call it the conventional route where you had an idea, you found a niche, and you kind of, went down the route of uh, raising capital externally um, to then help that um, grow your venture. Um, because I guess with a clothing line, a men's clothing line like you, like you started with, you need a certain amount of money to start even to come up with that idea, right? Absolutely. Um, I think that was one of the craziest things about doing clothing, you know, the the, the initial capital needed is pretty huge, really. I remember sort of th- at the start throwing a few figures around and, you know, yeah. my first, the, I had like a modest idea for how many products I wanted. And mm. once I totted it up, it was, the figures were absolutely outrageous. So even my modest estimations of what I wanted, I had to cut that down drastically um, yeah. to even make the, the cash that I needed to raise uh, just achievable really so um, what did you um, like because a lot of people say like 
creating your own clothing brand to start with as like your first venture is a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, I guess. You know, especially um, raising capital and in, enough inventory is just a difficult thing as a beginner, right? And I'm sure that's why you said there's lots of lots of things you've learned. Yeah, but, absolutely. I mean, I, I you know that I had no background in clothing whatsoever, so it was it was a it was from the beginning for everything. Like I was full beginner. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this is why it's good because you went just you went down that route and just learned it all yourself, and it's something that people who want to be entrepreneurs or have this own idea need to get to grips with that lots of it is learning as you go you know even if you might get help on the side there's so much to just getting your hands dirty as they say and just jumping in and trying I literally couldn't agree more I think you know the the first step to do doing your own thing is literally like taking action you know I think we've all probably got hundreds of ideas that we've written down or thought of before and then we just decide to not act on them and I guess um, you know like as you know my background is in design and branding so I've always been involved with startup businesses entrepreneurs that sort of thing so I knew how I'd seen from sort of an insider perspective how relatively easy it was to at least take an idea into something greater and see at least test the waters create a brand do the figures and see if it is actually a viable option mm. um, you know I didn't know anything about I didn't know anything about finance I didn't know anything about business I didn't know anything about clothing but all I knew was how to create a cool brand and those I guess you can either look at those things as I can't do this or you can just educate yourself and I guess like definitely throughout my 20s I've always been very proactive in educating myself in different things not necessarily to do with business or anything but I've real I've learned how easy it is to find the resources that you need to teach yourself and obviously yeah. you're never gonna it's gonna take many many years to become proficient in those areas but the information is out there especially with the internet and there's so much amazing resources out there and it just shouldn't daunt people I guess like I think there's some there's some like crazy thing about like starting when you start a business like don't ever try and get it perfect just launch with like the minimal minimum sort of viable product there's some kind of line like that and I think that's so true with learning different areas and skills like you can always add them in at a later date once you've educated yourself I think use the skills that you've got to the best of your ability and then sort of expand from there. Yeah, I think you came, I don't know, You people either start, you started with a skill, right? And you can see if people look at So We Flow now, one thing you'll notice straight away is like this whole consistency in brand and just the, the aesthetic of it is very pleasing. And that obviously just is through your natural skills. As you say, you came before So We Flow, you was in graphic and design and stuff. But even having those skills, you're like, okay, I can create a cool looking brand and uh, have the main points of that down. But there's a whole new world of business when it comes to the finance and figures and all of this stuff that you had to pick up yourself. So I want to just go back to how did you make it apparent or how did it become apparent that, okay, I need to raise capital. How am I going to do this? Where did you go? How did you come up with the figures? And how did that process like uh, come about and finish? So initially, well, when I basically thought of the idea, I had a few friends that were in the clothing industry. So I met up with one of those guys for a beer. He was a quite a lot, quite an older guy that worked for a very renowned men's clothing company, um, like net worldwide. And I basically pitched him the idea and with an intention of him coming on board with me. And uh, this gentleman basically said, look, Jake, you know, I've been in this business a long time and I'd like to just help you. I don't want anything from you. I just want to help you as much as I can, which was absolutely incredible of him to do. And he gave me the contacts in terms of 
factories, you know, like how to get manufacturing, like to answer any questions for me. And that was how I basically started those relationships where I could then work out how much this was going to cost. Right. So once I kind of had a, the numbers and, so, you know, I had no idea what clothing cost to make. Um, and I was getting it made in Portugal. So it was quite a bit different to kind of like India, China, Bangladesh, Pakistan, wherever else. Um, and I guess I took those figures, worked out kind of a range of what I wanted, worked through some designs with a guy that I'd been referred to by the gentleman that I, that I'm, that I was talking to. And we kind of created a range, worked out how much we needed. And then, as you say, it was a case of how do I, how do I raise this capital? Yeah. Uh, so I, I spoke to a few of my friends who are entrepreneurs like that I've done branding projects for before, asked them sort of their advice. Um, at this point, they were raising like crazy amounts of money from, you know, from all sorts of resources, from angel investors to venture capitalists, uh, venture capital places, um, all sorts of things, crowdfunding. Uh, but for me, I had, I didn't really want to go in sort of so hard straight away. For me, it wasn't about like, right, let's raise half a million pounds, going yeah. hard, selling two years. For me, I, it was more of a lifestyle choice for me. I wanted the business to be integrated with my day-to-day -day life and just enjoy work and not see it as work every day. So for me, organic growth was kind of, that was cool with me. I didn't want the stress of, you know, having so much capital, um, you know, behind me and the pressure of the investors, especially as someone that had never owned a business like this before. Yeah. So at that point, I started looking at um, startup loans. So a few companies in the UK, they do like very low interest startup loans. One of them is called the Startup Loan Company, and then the other is Virgin Startup, which I do think, I think they have an affiliation um, of some kind. And they basically offer loans from up to £25,000 um, with low interest. You can pay it back over kind of five years. So that was my first port of call. And then asking friends and family, like if they'd want to put in and basically through those two things combined, managed to raise like the money that I needed initially to get started. Mm. Um, I would say anyone that was a big bit of advice that I always, I actually have managed to resolve down the line, but I would always try and get the most money from a, like a startup loan company you can because you only get one chance at a startup loan. After that, a bank loan or whatever else is going to be hard to get and your interest is going to be crazy. So mm. even it, I would always take the most money because you'd be surprised how fast you spend money at the start. You know, I'd spent the, the loan in like literally no time at all. Yeah. It was crazy. And I was just sat there like, man, I could have had double this. Why didn't I do it? And there was no real reason for it. So did you go for like a lower amount of capital because you thought it's a bigger chance of you getting it? Um, or did you just make a, a bad decision really then? Because you were... I, I wouldn't say it was a bad decision necessarily. Um, I'd just say you've got to imagine that, you know, in I was in my mid-twenties and I'd never really, to me, just getting five figures straight in your bank was not like I'd never known that sort of money to just have instantly like that mm. and to me like the idea of getting a loan you know you always get told so much bad things about loans like mm. people getting in debt and whatever else so to just go oh 25k in your bank like that was scary I was mm. very very daunted by it um, but it literally only takes a few years in business to if that to realise like that's not a lot of money at all in business you know that comes and goes like like in an instant and yeah. you kind of lose that fear of money I guess um, over time but that was absolutely the 100% the reason that I didn't take the full amount at the start genuinely just fear and not knowing how, I, how to deal with that kind of money, I guess. It's a risk anyway, isn't it? I mean, even if you borrowed a low amount from that company or the top amount, 
at the end of the day, you know that's over your head that has to be paid back. So absolutely, yeah. So your the the difference between a startup loan and a, a normal loan is that you are personally liable rather than the business. So that's yeah. why they they then offer that low interest because there's no risk of the if the business liquidates then you're still liable for the loan unlike a normal business loan where uh, that would then be written off amazing so <clears throat> when you got this capital then what was your um, had you can I mean had you come up with a formation a plan of action that when you got this capital where it would go and uh marketing and planning and all that or again was it quite um go with the flow so we flow uh there was i had i did have quite a plan i've got to say i mean you know before i i even launched the business i'd been it would it had been in the making for a year yeah so i think I was, to mention actually that for people listening um i remember jake before he got uh, any kind of capital or raised investment, he was kind of. I, I think the brand was already established, right? As in the name. Yeah, absolutely. Everything so, like the website, the marketing ideas, like all yeah. the infrastructure behind the scenes was in place long before the first product launched. Yeah, and I, I think it's a really good thing for people to take on board. Is that I remember for maybe a year's worth, you were posting from this brand on Instagram and, and, and other stuff. And it was just organically building some kind of following and maybe you could call customer database to a degree. Yeah, of for sure. People were interested and also for people to take on board. At this point, it was no like real hard sale push. It was just following, just seeing someone with a passion for yoga um, kind of uh, building the, uh, the foundations and the blocks for this brand that was coming. And I think that gave you a good, a really good step up to, if, if I'm right. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, I was very, it was very kind of honest. Like I'd show me wearing samples, like mm. me unpacking boxes, doing yoga, of course, but it was much more like a, a sort of, a journal of the journey in that first year to launching the first product and I actually think that you know I reckon that created a lot of strong sort of customer relationships early on you know people were invested in the sort of insider view and I mean we've discussed this before about you know people wanting to know the, be emotionally connected and feel about the brand rather than just being sold yeah that's um, it and I do think that was a strong starting point to do that. And I'd recommend anyone to do that. Like, why Why wouldn't you, you know? If anything, it's a, it's a record of your journey for yourself, like, down the line as well. Yeah, it's just documenting the, the process, really, I guess. Um, but I, rem I remember one, or one thing that I do think about between now and what you did is that I'm sure you'll agree that when you were doing that and when you were just posting that stuff organically, you were getting a very good reach and a very good turnout from the most simple of kind of posts, right? And I'm sure if you started that now and just kind of did the same post, there's a bit of a different... Um, the scene or the market is a bit different when it comes to organic growth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I'd probably say that my, my engagement was better at the start than it is now, you mm. know? I think so for some reason, it, Instagram, people much prefer to see an individual, I would say. Like, yeah, they like seeing sort of the inside scoop of someone's life. I guess that's like the primary reason that people use it. Mm. I know that I don't particularly personally engage with businesses on it I follow individuals um, I like to see what individual people are doing, people that inspire me whatever else and I do believe that's the sort of reason why it was there was better engagement then yeah, it was very personal at the start um, but I think I think people just use it differently when they know it's a business 
Like it's there's no reason they don't feel necessarily like they're gonna get engagement back, so they probably don't bother. It's more of just a look they look rather than actually interact. Whereas yeah. when it's a person like you almost feel like you know, you're a phone away from actually connecting with that real individual. Yeah, that's that's true. Well, with a business, you can be talking to like Charlotte in the office. You know what I mean? Like you don't know. Yeah, you don't. But I think that's one of the the pluses of modern day businesses, or the, the businesses that are doing well, are kind of taking it back ten years, taking about twenty years, where they're oh, I, actually, I could be wrong there, but they're trying to peel it back, should I say, and becoming more personal. You know, like sending handwritten cards saying thank you and. Um, making emails more personal yeah Try absolutely to brand to connect to a customer rather than be more more robotic just... absolutely i think we kind of hit a peak of sort of automation email like cold emailing just content coming at us all the time advertising whatever else and now we're sort of regressing where a customer's getting bombarded with so much media and content advertising at all times that they kind of create like a, a veil they don't see it anymore and what they interact with is like emotion and like true feelings and someone yeah. that actually cares and personal touch and I do think that things are going to go that way and continue to do so for sure yeah I, I agree um, so let's quickly get on to um, I want to he- kind of hear about what let's try and come up with some big problems that you face like where you've gone oh shit this is something I wish I'd understood before I got into this. Okay, so number one is that however however much of a passion project it is, like however, whatever the product is, whatever the service is, the chances are that you will be spending 75%, if not more, of your time doing admin on your laptop. <laughs> <laughs> So my vision was that I'd own this yoga and movement clothing company and be spending all my days uh, training with people, meeting movers, all this sort of thing. But it actually turns out spreadsheets, (laughs) software, emails, like that is life. And I would say that that is just an inevitable part of being a business owner. And... I just didn't really, I had a romanticized view and I probably didn't really think about how much time that stuff takes up. Mm. So that's definitely something to be to be aware of. Um, I think especially as a one-man band, right? Cause yeah, absolutely. When you can still kind of maybe get back to that romanticized thought. Um, there are systems and things in place when you earn enough revenue to do that. But in the growth stages and obviously the first few years at least, you, you're kind of having to do a lot of it yourself. You are becoming every person in the office. You are, absolutely. And, you know, if the difference, if, if you know, you, business, early businesses are always struggling with cash and if it's the difference between shelling out a grand a month for this extra role or learning it yourself, you're going to sacrifice your own time. That's the first yeah. thing you always do. You sacrifice yourself. And that's true of everything, you know. If you've got a, a bill that needs paying, the first thing that's going to get sacrificed is you paying yourself, you know. And it's true with money and time. And that means that you end up being customer service, like CEO, designer, like website maintenance, delivery driver. <laughs> yeah. Post, post office. I mean, it sounds... It's, it's, as you say it's inevitable but it's um, I guess you could say it's uh, in, in ways it's a blessing that you now understand so many aspects of it of the business that when you get to a point of maybe hiring someone to do certain things you have such a good understanding that you can say what you want and how it's done right yeah and you can also you know if that person will, will hopefully be more informed by you in the area than you in the area that you hire them in but you can at least relate with them and understand what the job they're doing i think that's so important for someone that's hiring someone to at least be able to speak their language to quite a proficient degree yeah um 
because otherwise, you know, you, you want to understand why people are doing certain things and like what their goals are out of it. And you want to be able to speak to them on their level. So being involved at least at a fundamental level in the different areas is, I think, is incredibly important. Yeah, I guess I'm absolutely correct. Like, I, uh, I was thinking the other day about if you had to bring in someone to do SEO, like it's such a new world to most people, that even the term, that you can easily be clouded in judgment and you don't really know what you're looking for when you, you, know, when you go to hire someone. Yeah, sure. You don't understand this, even as you say, at a fundamental level. Yeah, I think there's a lot of... Well, Yeah, so basically, I I think it's very important not to stress about the minor details too much of the different areas. So when you, when I before I launched the business, I had huge lists of blogs, information, piece of writing about you know everything from accounts to e-commerce platforms, uh, like email platforms, email automation the stats of the best times to post on all the different social media networks, just all these things across all the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I was obsessing about each detail and trying to get it perfect. And what you end up doing is wasting a lot of time on things that their, uh, their impact is relatively low. And I think in hindsight, to be able to spend your time efficiently and concentrate on the things that are high impact rather than low and being able to put those in some kind of hierarchy is in you know it's so so important because at the end of the day you don't you know when you own your own business you don't want to be spending your whole life on it you want to enjoy the fact that you've got your own thing you want to enjoy life as well so i think get to get the work-life balance right you have to prioritize and just some things just let them go you know i think it's we create lists of, to, of things to do and sometimes the, the things that are so unimportant can create massive stress in the body. And it's just so unnecessary. And I think being able to let go of the things that aren't urgent and aren't important is key. So is there anything like off the top of your head where you've, in the past, you've stressed about that's become quite minor and now you're at a level where you've really got it, you've honed in on you know, what's essential and what you can give less time to? Um, well, I guess it would be it would be silly not to mention like a system that I actually use for that. Mm. Um, so it's called the Eisenhower Method, created by President Eisenhower, I believe. <laughs> and uh, it's basically kind of a, a, gr- a cross grid with four quadrants. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. And one axis is not important to important. And the other axis is not urgent to urgent. Mm. And basically, when you have a task to do, you plot it somewhere in the relevant place in that graph. So, you know, you'd have like important and urgent, not important, but urgent, etc., etc. And the whole system is based on that most of the tasks that you are doing should be in important, but not urgent. So what that is basically saying is that you are using most of your time on things that are having a high impact but you're not le- leaving them so late that they be- become urgent and create stress mm-hmm. so it teaches you to make sure that you do things with plenty of time in advance and most of your time is spent on the important things so that means that I have you know I have a list of things that's in the not important not urgent section Usually, if they were in one list, those things would be stressing me out. Yeah, it's just make it's making my list of things to do look huge. By being in there, I don't look at them for months and months because I know they're not important and they're not urgent. They're things that might help, but neither of those things. So maybe I've got a spare few hours, so I'm like, oh, I'm just and there's nothing major to do, so I'm like, now it's time to like maybe address a couple of those things in that in that section. Yeah. And for me, that has been amazing to make sure that what I'm working on is having a good effect and also keeping me 
like sound of mind and healthy as well. Mm. That sounds invaluable. I mean, do you make that? Is it something that's like a, a monthly graph or like a weekly graph? Uh, no, I actually it's an app. It's called Focus Matrix, um, oh. and you just plot it in, and it just it doesn't change monthly. And you can kind of like you can put times in them for as well. So it could be like you've got your tasks in the important but not urgent, mm. and then at a certain date it'll move it across to important and urgent in case you haven't done it in time to to make sure that it's a priority um it's it's amazing it's worked for me i think everyone has different methods of prioritizing but for me it's just it's the one that's stuck yeah that's i mean that's um good information i might even have a look at that myself for people who find themselves making endless lists and stressing themselves out, it sounds like a, a good option. Well, uh, it's crazy because I know myself, I've had I've had lists where it might be, you know, three of the things on the list might be like, make your bed, go food shopping, like do, do, do your washing. And just the fact, even though they don't matter, just because they're on that list with everything else, it just increases your stre- the stress response like hugely and to just put them to the side to know that they're there to remind you but to the side and out of sight Mm. it's powerful you know it seems very it seems nonsensical like it seems crazy that that would affect you but I know that that's those sort of things affect me and I think they do many other people as well yeah as you say it must be individual response but it is one of those things in today's world where people are damn stressed anyway um and i guess like being your own boss and being an entrepreneur and running everything and as a beginner like i'm sure it can easily overwhelm you and you have to put things in place that keep you like not overwhelmed like to put it yeah that exactly it's kind of what i'm saying you know it's you need to you need to choose your priorities because you're never going to be able to do everything at once and you're never going to be able to do everything perfect. So you need to prioritise the things that have the biggest impact. Simple as that. And just be able to let go of the things that don't and maybe address them down the line when you have some extra time to do so. Yeah. So try and give me, if you can, I want to see if there's one example of a skill that you've picked up along the past two years um, that you feel would have been really good to have had from the start? Without a doubt, with absolutely without a doubt, is the ability to analyse like basic sort of business uh, finances. I know that's like the most boring answer ever. Yeah, but, but it's good for people to understand because like if, I always think if someone's going to go and make their own business, like these, this stuff is invaluable. If you can go and learn it, with free resources or certain apps, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I would have done some kind of basic business course right. um, before I started in hindsight. I mean, there's so many re- amazing online resources. I'm not talking about going to university or college. I'm just saying, you know, like a short form course on basic profit and loss, cash flow, balance sheets. Is there uh, anything? General to- accounting. Is there any, what, any platforms that come to mind? Yeah, that you could people can visit. Well, well I've in the past I've used a, uh, an app called Udemy. I don't know if you've heard of it. U D E M Y. Yeah. Uh, so I've actually used that for a number of skills. I've done Facebook marketing courses, Instagram marketing courses. I've done photography courses. So all things that I've used to improve my business. Yeah. I mean, you know, the photography course was unbelievable. I've been taking photos for many years, but after that, my my skill level went up to just another, it just exceeded anything I would have thought possible. And now I do all the content so we flow myself. Nice. So that obviously takes out a huge cost and inconvenience of having to organize that sort of thing. So let's just, let's just hold on that because I want, it's something that I think is great in today's world is like, People are realizing that if you have a phone, you pretty much have the power of everything in your own hands. Now, we also have the ability with the internet to become skilled in so many different avenues, right? And you can become, even though you're a one-man band, 
you can acquire the skills of having everything. So in your instance, you've learned finance and everything like that along the way. You're already versed in graphic and design um, and to some degree like web design. I bet you've learned about that. Um, then you've realized the power of social media and that photography and going and having to hire a photographer and doing someone uh, hiring someone to do those kind of things is a lot of money and I bet now learning yourself and having those skills has basically not only saved you money but saved you time and effort and having yeah absolutely for sure I think um that you need to know when a skill is best to be outsourced I think we well, all know where our strengths and weaknesses lie, right? You know? And yeah. the reason for why me, is because it's so invaluable at the start because people want perfection. That's why they don't start. They're like, oh, but I can't do this well enough. And I'm always yeah. like, okay, but you can get to a, a, a good enough level learning yourself and do all these for free and just start, as you say. Don't get so caught up in stressing. Just start. Just get going. Just take yeah. action. And at some point, then you can, you know, think about outsourcing. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. It's so true. I yeah. think just taking that action and going and just just getting something out there is so key. Yeah. And, you know, if you're trying to perfect every element, you're just going to end up spending so much money straight away. Um, and you're right, you can do so much of this on your phone. I mean, even if you look at the basic sort of the basic building box of a business like an online an e-commerce business anyway let's say website email social media like product photographer let's just say that for a start like all of those things there's so many amazing platforms out there now which can help you with all those things you can do your product photography on your phone which like the cameras now are just incredible you know granted it's not going to be as good as a professional photographer that really knows what they're doing but it, it'll get you pretty bloody close yeah then you've got all your e-commerce software that sorts all that everything out like the back end the interface is really user friendly you've got your social media where you know most people know how to do that now anyway from from like 10 to 80 and then you have email where you can literally compose a pretty beautiful looking email from your phone and send that out and I think even if you just do the basics of all of those you've got a pretty good start you know you're probably doing most more than what most people do for their business anyway so no excuses <laughs> not really no and you don't really need to stress about the minor details like those things that you can add on later yeah that's true just consistency and hard work I mean um what I was going to come on to now is like, it would be good to hear, I think, finally, where, how has your brand progressed from like how you imagined it at the start to maybe what's happening today with Zoe Flow? So how has that changed and what, what's going to go into the future? So I guess at the, at, at the start, yoga was the absolute focus of the brand. Um, but over the couple of years, there's definitely been more of a movement towards movement in general so that would be you know climbing parkour calisthenics everything that's everything that moves and it was more of a it's i guess it was a realization that all these disciplines are so intrinsically linked you know well people are doing different things but they're all saying the same things they're all doing it for similar reasons and to me that was a good reason to kind of expand the message to all peoples Um, but on a more sort of business sort of a business mindset you're learning so much all the time and I guess a big lesson for me was that what you think people want is probably not what they actually want yeah and the figures of how how the business is working speak for themselves So, so just looking at the sort of the the uneven balance of revenue from different products like it's crazy i'd heard before that so many businesses out there make the majority of the money from say one product so a clothing company might have a range of 100 pieces but they're like plain graphic tea makes 80 percent of their revenue yeah i had heard that before but to actually see it 
in practice is kind of crazy. It's just crazy, really. And learn. I think to learn, then learn from that and go, right, we recognise that that is the thing to focus on and then adjust the business based on that is really important to do and not to try and stick to your, like, idealistic view of what you wanted it to be. Yeah. It's better to... It's better to adapt to what the customer is telling you through through purchase, through you know feedback and whatever else. And to be able to adapt to that and kind of forget the ego of how you wanted it to be is a really powerful thing. And that's basically what's happening with So We Flow at the moment. So I'm looking, we're shifting the focus away from just yoga fully towards general movement and sort of we're re-looking at the product range and really sort of analysing what's working and what isn't and stripping back because you don't you don't want to spend cash on things that aren't really giving back to you as much as you want them to be there mm. and it's it's better to put the cash into the stuff that people are really engaging with and, and loving and that's kind of what we're moving towards now and you know, like what I said about getting the basic building blocks in place. And now I'm in a place where I can start really pushing some of those areas. So, for example, using getting way more like video content and using that to create a more engaging site, making the website more interactive. Things that aren't so important at the start, but can really create a, a more a more powerful cu- customer relationship. Mm. That makes sense. So, um, what was I going to say? Is it hard to take away your um, your own? I think you kind of covered it there, but I was going to ask it prior. Was is it hard to take away your own bias from the company? And how do you how do you take how do you personally take that away? Do you have anyone like? third party or is anyone neutral that kind of pushes you in a direction and says look you need to take away your own personal view here has someone taught you that or have you picked up yourself I honestly think that is one of the most difficult things Um, you've you've really got to let go of like the ego and stop be and not be stubborn because otherwise the business will fail like not necessarily you know you might be in a very very unique position where your idealistic view of what what it is works out perfectly but at the end of the day you've got most of the time you've got to adapt and for me it was a very quite a bitter pill to swallow i mean i think a, a good sort of metaphor of how of how that might work would be that you have a song that you absolutely love and you play you play it next to another song which you believe to be awful Mm. And the whole the whole room prefers the other song that you hate, <laughs> and and you've got to play you've got to choose which song you're going to play at an event that you're doing, mm. and you know that's what it's like. It's like, do I play the one that the the world loves, or do I play the one that I like? And you're going to have a lot more happy people if you go with the majority and with the with the customer rather than with your own vision. And that's basically what I'm having to do at the moment. It's a really good analogy, analogy actually, because um, I don't know if you know Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, I've heard Gary V. Yeah, Gary V. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's got a loud voice and everything. But one thing he, he says quite a lot is like, the market decides what's good and what's not. It really doesn't fucking matter what you think. You know, when you're there considering, what, should I put out this video or not? I don't want to post shit. And he says, well, what you consider shit, the market might think is actually great. So Yeah, sure. I get that. You should always kind of uh, change your message or change your actions based on what the market is doing. And the market can always decide and change at the drop of a... Button. Is it drop of a coin? What is it? Drop of a hat. That's it. <laughs> the hat. As soon as the hat drops, you've got to change. Drop of a button. <laughs> I'll keep it I could easily edit that out because I sound like an idiot, but you know. <laughs> keep it in. I like it. Yeah, I like. Oh, drop the button, everyone. 
Yeah, you're a real guy. <laughs> I am real. Um, the market might decide that that is the new way to say it anyway, Jake. So. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to your your reason for doing it. Like, are you... If you are in a lucky enough position to have unlimited revenue, like unlimited investment and money's not an issue, you can sit there and continue flogging your idealistic horse for the rest of your yeah. life, you know? But if, like most people... You re- you're having to consider every financial decision and whether the business is financially successful, regardless of whether you're achieving your, you know, the perfect vision that you envisaged from the beginning, is a matter of survival. It's like, would you, do you want the business to exist or not? And <laughs> yeah. to ignore the customer in most circumstances is like business suicide, really. Yeah. But conversely, there always needs to be an element of going against the grain and doing your own thing because at the end of the day, like, that will be respected by people. And pe- the, I think there's the term early adopters. They will latch on to people trying to do things differently. Yeah, and pe- people then follow that. Um, so it's kind of like balancing both. You know, you don't want to be completely mainstream. But at the same time, you need to be aware that ultimately that's surely where every business wants to move toward. Yeah, I mean, you'll have like, a, I guess you have what you could call a fan base or a customer base. And most of the customer base are just going to go with the trends and the market and they decide it. But you'll have like core customers who love you and they really do like something when you go against the grain and you create something different and you've got to cater to them as well I guess yeah absolutely I mean I guess a good example for So We Flow is the way that the brand speaks to people you know I always the tone of voice is always very honest um, often slightly humorous quite dry um, says you know it's not trying to create this like v- image all the time the message is more like we're all real people. Why don't we? With this brand, we're going to speak to you as if you're a person, yeah. without trying to like create a veil or create a fake sort of persona. Yeah. And so some people would hate that, but that's something that I'd always keep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think mainly what I'm talking about is like which products are working and the like, elements of the product that are working. Um, you know, I think. A good uh, what what could be an example like say you have some a headphone company and a really key part for you is like a design an element of design on the headphone but all the customers hate it mm. you've got a you've got to reconsider whether your opinion is the best opinion and how important that is to you and the balance of that and whether that will affect whether the business is successful or not yeah but only you can make that decision ultimately yeah well it makes sense I mean um, these are things you've got to learn as you go along I guess you wouldn't have known this from the start but um, as you I guess as business grows and in terms of revenue and the market um, will affect how you have to make these decisions you know like some of these decisions you wouldn't have even thought about right at the start, um, especially without revenue coming through, I guess, as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't... The data that you collect over time in terms of the figures and the analysis of what's selling, what works, like like kinks in the armour, so to speak, like areas that are missing, areas that are working, just over time you're just building more and more and more information. Mm. And the picture it shows, like an- analysis of that that information, is so key, and it can tell you what's work, what's if you're doing things right and what you're doing wrong. And yeah, I think it, you'd be foolish not to learn from that because it's it's real live interaction and information that's actually happening. It's not you know someone going uh, from our study like yeah. of whatever the people go on Facebook at this time the most it's your data of your business yeah and only time can give you that you know 
Yeah, and um, just to finalize that, do you have some way of tracking all the data that's ever happened? Yeah, cl- the classic Google Analytics. That's the one. There we go. We that's... actually, but again, that's one of those things that's just, it screws with your head. I think if you don't know about it, I, I have someone that helps me like interpret that data. And all I would say, my biggest recommendation is set it up from the start, but maybe just don't worry about it for a while. Yeah. But make sure it's set up because you can't, you can't go back when it's not yeah. set up, you know? Yeah. So just work out how to get it going and then you don't even have to look at it. But if you finally do a year later, at least you've got all that information to analyze. Yeah, that's true. That's a good um, recommendation, actually. Um, okay, so finally, Wood, I'll ask you um, a question that I ask everyone is that do you walk around with any type of philosophical quote or something you've learned as a child, something from anyone in your family, someone you look up to that is something that you've always kept kept close that is a good metaphor or a good something that reminds you of something that's helped you in business? Any lessons um. in life? I think, without a doubt, the biggest lesson for me is that work isn't all that important and money isn't that important. And I know it's a, it's an oversaid thing, but for me, I always, whenever I'm feeling stressed or overworked, I always just think, you know, like, life is beautiful and there's so much stuff out there for me to experience. And, mm. you know, however bad it gets, I can always go train I can see my friends I can enjoy wonderful food I can be outside you know and I think to just to not get wrapped up in work and money is absolute key to good living I know that's not quite a quote or anything but that's that's just something that I I consider every single day most of the day and I'll always prioritise experience over you know, m- m- like money gain or yeah, whatever else. And I just, I just think for me, that's an absolute key to just living well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's um, what is one of those things that people just fail to grasp, and they they find very easy to fall into the trap of getting consumed by their own company. But I think what you've said and the whole message from this has been great to see that you have found a way to maintain perspective about how you want it to be, but you've also uh, maintained perspective on how you need to change according to the market and not just you. And you found that balance between business and life. Um, And it's quite hard to say, oh no, sorry, it's quite easy to say it's not all about money, but uh, I think you are proving or living that at least, you're not just saying it, you know? Yeah. That's great. You know, solid information. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I think um, it's been good. I think we'll end it there, my friend. 